I'd like to turn with you to the final chapter of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. This is a series of sermons I did at the, uh, in our church. And this was the last one from that book. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. And our text this evening is verses 10 through 13. Notice the theme. Contentment is riches. The world thinks riches is contentment. Totally different. What I mean by right with, and of course, the riches that they have never really gives them contentment, right? The material riches. But contentment is riches. That's our focus this evening. But uh, verses 10 through 13 is our text, but we'll read all the way through the end of the chapter 23. Let's hear God's word. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abused, or sorry, abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once, and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from the Epaphroditus the thing sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Just read... Uh, 10 through 13 once more. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and and to suffer need, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, beloved in Christ, when you watch fish in a, in a fish tank, what do you see? You see them opening and closing their mouths all the time. And I always wondered why. And then I learned not so long ago yeah, that's their breathing. Okay, that's their breathing. They do that for breathing. But by seeing fish constantly opening and closing their mouths makes me think really of the human heart. Think of the human heart. Picture for a moment a mouth on a human heart. Always opening, closing, opening, closing. Always wanting more, more, more. Never satisfied, never content, never enough. Oh, what a poor life. 
but of poverty. You know, the prevailing philosophy of this age is more, more, more. Our advertisers know that kind of heart that looks for those kinds of things more. Not more of Jesus, not more of Christ, not more of the Bible, more stuff. A higher salary, the newest technology, the latest fashions, a renovated home, and the latest car. I'm not saying these things are bad in themselves. These are gifts of the Lord, no doubt. God gave them to us for us to enjoy. They're not bad in and of themselves. The real problem, though, is the heart. That's the heart of the matter. The heart often stands in the way. And it reminds us of the 10th commandment, right? The opposite of contentment, right? You shall not covet. Coveting is really the direct opposite of contentment. If contentment is riches, coveting is poverty, extreme poverty. You know, the, that Tenth Commandment is a heart commandment. Thinking of the heart again. It deals with the whole world of those sinful desires. Desires like lust and greed, jealousy, and discontent. And you see these words from Philippians 4, 10 through 13. They speak of contentment. Learning contentment. And that kind of contentment is riches. Riches. Christ died on the cross to bring freedom. To whom? To slaves. To slaves of sin. And that also includes discontentment. He came to free us from those sins. He came to bring joy. You see that in the first part of Philippians chapter 4? 4 verse 4. He came to bring joy, peace, and contentment. And now Paul, he's not in the exact nicest place on earth. I mean, he's in prison. He's not in a palace. He's speaking this from prison in a cell with chains on his hands and chains on his legs. And he says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. He bears testimony of this contentment in his own life. And so what we're going to see this evening is, and I trust this will also encourage us in our walk in life, in our walk in Christ, we're going to see, first of all, the grace of contentment, and then we're going to see the secret of contentment. That's a grace, really. It's, a, it's really a gift. Something, of course, it's learned. It's not, we're, we're not born with it. It's, it's a grace. It's a grace that God gives in Jesus. And it shows in three ways. Okay, as we're going to see from our text. It shows, first of all, in a grateful heart. We're going to see. Then we're going to see how it shows in a quiet and glad heart and also in a learning heart. So, a grateful heart, a quiet and glad heart, and a, and a learning heart. It shows in those three ways. And first of all, we're going to see how the grace of contentment is seen in a grateful heart. What's a grateful heart? Something where you're really very thankful, right? A grateful heart is a thankful heart. And Paul here shows his deep gratitude from, his, from the darkness of his prison cell. He shows great thankfulness for the church's money gift that he had received through uh, Epaphroditus. And he shows that in three places. You look at verse 10. What does he do? He speaks of with great joy 
in the Lord because of their concern for him in prison. But that's not his biggest joy. His biggest joy is because the Lord put his generosity in their hearts. That's what he's excited about. The gift is nice, but he just he, he takes great joy in what the Lord put in their hearts. And he celebrates, you know, the, the fact that God is, is, is so good in that way, in many ways, in every way. But second of all, in verse 14, he tells them, yeah, that it was good of them to help him in his affliction. No doubt he's very thankful for that as well. And you see in verse 18, he speaks of the immense value of that gift to him. What is this immense value? The fact that above all, it's a sweet-smelling aroma. Acceptable sacrifice right, offered to the Lord. That's, that to him is really the cap. That's kind of like the dessert. That's kind of like the cherry on the pudding. It's, this is what really is what moves him to gratitude. Not just the gift, but just in terms of their relationship with the Lord. How the Lord put this in their hearts in this way. Paul says it's not that he didn't need the gift. But he also says, on the other hand, he wasn't seeking it. But he's very deeply grateful to them for it. Where's Paul again? In prison, right? Does Paul, you ever hear Paul complaining in prison? Not once do you hear him complaining. A little earlier, Paul says in Philippians 2.14, Do all things without complaining and disputing. You know what the great thief of contentment is? Complaining. It's a horrible robber. It loves to steal that from you, that gift that Jesus gives. So yeah, a grateful heart. That's the first thing about the grace of contentment. The grace of contentment also shows in a quiet and glad heart. Whatever the circumstances, it's not that the circumstances are so good, necessarily, but in those circumstances, whether it's good or not good, Paul celebrates the fact that this grace of contentment enables him to have a quiet and glad heart in the midst of it. Look at verses 11 and 12. He says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am, whatever state, whatever state you think of, that's the state he's talking about, whatever state that I am, to be content. I know how to be abased. He says, I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, to abound, to suffer need. He says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. You know, this contentment doesn't depend on outward circumstances. Circumstances, or sorry, contentment is a grace Jesus gives in whatever circumstance. In great times, in bountiful times, in hard times. You know another thief of contentment? A noisy restless heart that's a that's a great robber not a great one it's a bad robber right it's a thief it's a thief of contentment 
It's easy to think that we will be content when we have this or that or when this changes in my life or when that changes in my life. This grace of contentment, of course, does not include, or sorry, does not exclude personal aspirations or ambitions. Certainly we may have that. God created us in his image to have that kind of, to have those kind of aspirations to move ahead in life. You can work hard. You can get ahead. Nothing wrong with that. Through the things God provides for your family, he blesses you. Oh yeah, especially to serve in his kingdom. That's, that's the focus here. Right? He gives you all these things so that the biggest joy of it, the biggest contentment part of it is giving it away for the spread of his kingdom. That's what Paul sees here in, in the church of Philippi. The grace of contentment does not kill desire. Not all desire, that is. But what it does do, what Jesus does do, is he rescues. He saves desire from envy, from discontent, and from greed. He changes, you could say, our desire from grasping to giving. As we see in the example of the Philippian church, the grace goes deeper than that. Regardless of outward circumstances, there's a quietness of heart. We just sang about that, didn't we? Psalm 131. Some of you may have heard of uh, Joni Erickson Tata. She was an athlete involved in a swimming accident. And you know the story. She was paralyzed neck down. How old was she then? I think 17 or 18, something like that. Very young. Teenager. I think she even wanted to commit suicide at one point until she came to know the Lord, until the Lord found her, saved her. But she says, it was only after I got out of the hospital, wheeled through the front door of my home, he said, she said, I was hit with the cold, hard facts of my paralysis. She was paralyzed, I think from neck down. Yeah, so just her face, or her mouth, her eyes, that's the only parts of her body she couldn't move. And she says, I came home, and the doorway was too narrow. Wheelchair. The sink was too high. A plate of food was placed in front of me, but my hands remained limp. I couldn't even feed myself. Someone else had to feed me. I felt trapped. Our cozy home that I always lived in now felt like a jail. And my confinement forced me to look at another captive. And her mind, the Lord used her mind, brought her mind to the Apostle Paul in a Roman jail. And in that Roman jail, Paul's just overflowing with gratitude. He thanked the believers of Philippi for their concern and reassured them, I have learned to be content whatever circumstances I'm in. Oh, it took time, she said. But in Christ, she said, I found a quietness of heart that could gladly submit to God from my wheelchair. You know, maybe we're not always satisfied or content with whatever lot we have in life, but it's something that Christ gives. Contentment. And she advises too, she says, she counsels here, she says, if you feel trapped, read about the Apostle Paul. See him, see his quiet and glad heart that the Lord Jesus gave him. 
Yeah, contentment. It's a grace which shows in a grateful heart, a quiet and glad heart. Just remember that the great robber of contentment is complaining, right? A noisy, restless heart. But third of, all, third of all, we see the grace of contentment which Christ gives is also a learning heart. Paul shares his testimony. He says, I'm going to share my testimony with you. Nothing wrong with sharing your testimony. He got very personal. He says, you know what? I've learned contentment. There are probably times that, which, what does that mean? Well, in the past, he was often not content. But he says, I've learned it. It's something I've learned along the way. The Lord shaped that in me. He cultivated that in me through all my experiences in life. In whatever state I am to be content, I've learned that. It's something we need to learn, cultivate, grow in. Contentment is not natural to any one of us because of our sinful nature. That's the problem. What does a sinful nature do? It stirs up passions, sinful passions, greed, anger, jealousy, comparing one another with yourself, discontent, all those things that like to divide and break up relationships. The root is that thief, discontentment. Remember Paul's words in Romans 7. He says, The good I do not, sorry, for, the, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, that's what I keep on doing. He acknowledged that in himself. That's, that's the life of a Christian, a struggling Christian, battling with these sinful, uh, with a sinful nature. Learning contentment means battling the discontented heart. It means fighting it. It means dying to it. Forsaking it. And finding your freedom in Jesus. The one who died and rose again from the dead. Brings you into a new creation. So it means to follow Jesus. You know, if the heart is a source of covetousness, what's the end of it? Idolatry. Idolatry is not far off. As a matter of fact, Colossians 3 verse 5 says, covetousness is idolatry. Think of today. Money. Money. Money is a God for which people are willing to sacrifice their happiness, their children, their health, even their own lives. What a terrible God it is. Cruel. Many working couples hardly know their children because they're too busy paying off mortgages, paying off car payments. And the children become not only discontents, but malcontents. You know what a malcontent is? A rebellious. Rebellious son or daughter. Wow. So yeah, the grace of contentment shows in a grateful heart, a quiet, glad heart, and a learning heart. Boys, you remember that? I think your parents will ask you that. Okay? And the source of that problem is idolatry. Or the end of it is idolatry, I should say. Grace of contentment is an attitude which must be learned. 
We need to grow in it, cultivate it. How? That's, the, that's really the question. Is That's where the rubber hits the road. How do we learn it as Christians? Well, he cultivates it. Jesus, by his spirit, cultivates it through the word of God. Just being in the word. Sunday by Sunday, but also daily. Just taking time to read the word. How many, how many of us read the word, even alone, every day? Just to read the Bible. That's one way. And Jesus, remember, he loves you enough. God loves you enough that he wants to cultivate that contentment in our lives. And sometimes he sends hard things in our lives, trials in our lives, difficult experiences. Just like the Apostle Paul. God, Christ used that to shape, to shape and mold Paul to be the kind of person he became in his prison cell. Not exactly the best of places to be in. A grateful, quiet, glad, and learning heart are all expressions. You could say of a trusting submission or a submissive heart to Christ. I like what Joni Erickson Tadashit says. She says, It has an internal quietness of heart that gladly submits to God in all circumstances. <laughs> That's the struggle, isn't it? It's something that Jesus gives and continues to cultivate us, that we may learn it. So how do we receive the grace of contentment? What's this, in other words, what's the secret of it? How do we, how do we uh, receive that? And that brings us to our second point, verses 13, but also verse 19. It's first of all by trusting Jesus. Trusting in Jesus. What does Paul say in verse 13? He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is a favorite verse of many. You see it. Maybe in the kitchen, on the kitchen wall, or maybe a piece of wood on the desk, or right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, this does not mean Christ enables Paul to do anything. We sometimes quote this verse without thinking about the context in which it was written, verses 10 through 13. But the point here is the believer has the ability, as a believer, you have the ability to face. All these things, all these circumstances, through Jesus. He gives you, the believer, the strength. The strength that you just don't have in yourself. I can do all things. All these hard circumstances, I can do all those things through him. I can face them, I can deal with them through him who gives me that strength. The strength you receive from Jesus, how? By trusting by trusting in him. You can believe that. He'll give it. He loved you enough to give himself for you. To die for you. And he shows that. He gives it by rising from the dead. Ascending to heaven. He reigns. <laughs> he reigns, yeah. He's strong enough to subdue. That's, a, that's good news too. It's to subdue those forces of discontentment. And that's through his strength. Think of those words again of Psalm 131, which we sang. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Those are the precious words of, <clears throat> of David. Look at the circumstances in his life. Not always good. Living among the rocks in the wilderness. When you have Christ, you have no need to want more. <laughs> 
We don't think we often want more, but we don't have need to want more. Those words of Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack some things. Oh, no. I shall lack nothing. That's what it says, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. That is the very contentment of riches. The heart is full. I like the way this one Persian believer, a lady from Iran, she was trying to describe how her life in Christ was like. She's a single lady in her late 40s. And this is how she said it. It's a Middle Eastern expression, I think. My eyes are full. <laughs> I said, my eyes are full. I thought, yeah, it's very interesting. Think of Eve in the garden. Her eyes weren't full. She was desirous of that. She says, my eyes are full. She's talking about what she has in Jesus. And so as a believer in union with Christ, we may freely draw on his strength. He's able. He's able to give you strength. And the other thing is, he's willing to make you strong too. He's willing to give that to you. He's willing to supply. See verse 19? And my God will supply. It's a promise here. Shall supply all your need according to the riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He meets all your need, not because he's only not only because he's able to, because he's a willing father. He's willing to. And what's the greatest need of all? The ability to face the circumstances to the one who gives us strength. Christ, of course, is the secret, isn't he? The secret of contentment is Christ. Right? Trusting in him and believing that he will supply. Verse 13, verse 19. Sadly, this verse, Philippians 4, 19, is often used to apply primarily to physical needs. And what then, when, you, when, when a, a televangelist, for example, does that, he, he, what does he do? He ends up boosting the ego, the selfish ego, the discontented, the greedy persons. That movement, right, called the prosperity gospel movement, it's not a gospel movement. It's false. It's false. But these health and wealth preachers, these health and wealth gospel preachers, claim that God in this verse promises to supply you with luxury and wealth and health untold in accordance with, their, in accordance with the God's riches and his glory in Christ Jesus. You can have lots of money, lots of cars, and lots of boats. And what they do is they manipulate scripture to justify their own greed because they are greedy themselves. Think of one example of this. There's this teaching called the 100-fold return. Evangelists love this because they get rich from this. They distort Jesus' promise, for example, from Mark 10.30, where Jesus says that he will provide a hundredfold for those who follow him. And so what they'll say from that is, well, give to God, they say, and you'll be blessed with a hundredfold. Give a dollar for gospel's sake. And you'll get a hundred in return. hundredfold, right? hundred times one, a hundred dollars. But you give ten dollars, how much is that? You'll receive a thousand. And I mean, you get a million pretty quickly, don't you? In short, Mark 10, verse 30 is a, is a good deal. Kenneth Copeland, he said, it's a good deal. And so what happens, listeners, they empty their pockets. 
And whose pockets do they fill? Those greedy ones. Satan's emissaries. The so-called evangelists. Ah, we have to deal with these. What scriptures call covetous and sinful, these covetous preachers proclaim as possessing your inheritance by faith. Baloney. That's not the gospel. They don't preach the gospel. God does not promise physical health and material wealth to Christians in this life. <laughs> Our lives, we know, look at the Apostle Paul, the trials, the suffering, the beatings for following Christ. These preachers are false. They preach a false gospel without pointing listeners to the cross of Christ. You ever notice that? Very little off, very little do they point to the cross of Christ. Calling men and women to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. God supplies, willing supplies the needs of all his people by giving them resources to, to deal with hardship. We have what we need, and we have way more in Jesus, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. True contentment, what does it do? It opens the hands of the Philippians to give. You know, generosity. There's so much that's tied to contentment. Generosity is born out of contentment. For Paul, greater than receiving the gift is that their giving is first and foremost an act of worship to God. Paul says, not that I seek the gift, the thing sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, and well-pleasing to God. He sees their motive for giving. It wasn't trying to get something back or trying to earn some sort of brownie points. No. It was the Lord's work in them. And this brings him great joy as this confirms all that he has taught them through the gospel. Contentment in Christ is riches. And you begin to see, you look at Philippians 4 and you can bring it all into one line. When you're content, you have the joy of verse 4, the peace of verse 7, and a heart that gives. Not just financially, but in every way, in service to one another. <clears throat> Verses 10 through 20. Like what Michael Brown, one of our missionaries in Italy, he writes this. It's in suffering that God's resurrection power is manifest in our lives. And as we continue as disciples of Christ, he says, even through hardships and heartbreaks, we are being conformed to the image of Jesus. When we die to ourselves and our own comforts, in order to serve others, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is that power does at work in us. When we are willing to pay the cost of follow Jesus, God's power is made perfect in our weakness. The Holy Spirit is in work in you. Is that work in you, O believer? Remember that. He has united you to Jesus. He came into the world not to make our lives more successful or more convenient. He came into the world to bury us and to make us truly alive. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You know, there's something greater coming, the kingdom in all its fullness. It's growing, and it's coming in all its fullness. The best days are coming, but it's begun. And so press on. Press on, always looking up to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, 
Think of those words of Hebrews 13.5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake.